Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It is Monday, January 29th. I've written down here January 22nd, which is wrong, and I'm glad I found it. I found it in my heart of hearts. I knew what day it really was. It's the 29th. You are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 130. I'm Austin Walker. Joining me today, Patrick Klepek. Hello. Rob Zachney. Hey, everybody. We are here to talk about monsters, the ones that we hunt and the ones that hunt us. That is that is our those are the ones that's the ones and I don't just mean Monster Hunter also zombies zombies are like monsters that hunt us because those are the games we've been playing we've been playing Monster Hunter we've been playing They Are Billions um, I guess Rob you probably put a little bit more into Darkest Dungeon also a little bit yeah awesome that's also monsters in that uh, how do we feel about monsters just generally just generally like I'm we... pro monster movies I'm yeah. pro Monsters like Cloverfield and Godzilla. I'm pro. I'm pro monster. I you want to be? You ever want to be a monster? How, well, the question is like monsters are often portrayed as like not fully like what's the intellectual capacity of the monster? It depends on the monster, right? I think it's a full range. It's like a full range of being, right? Because like a a a uh, you know, you have monsters who are kind of mindless, like zombies, who are just like, oh, they're coming for you. Get out of the way. They're just going to eat your brain. That's all they can do is eat and consume. But there's, like, Godzilla movies where Godzilla is very clearly protecting the children. I guess Gamera protects the children, to be clear. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know what I mean, right? Or, like, or like werewolves, even inside of the one classification of monster that is werewolf, you have a range from underworld style very conscious very like i'm aware of the world we have a politics we're like we're, we have rivalries or like twilight style same thing werewolves who are like of mind and then you have werewolves that are just like basically like wild hungry beasts. ravenous beasts yeah exactly like, the blood, like, like what's born. the intellectual capacity like because i would like to be a um, kaiju kaiju okay. like i kaiju i think be... i want i want to go full scale like godzilla doesn't seem like he's he's got stuff going on. Yeah, I've checked uh, Google. I've Googled how smart is Godzilla, <laughs> uh, and not only are there debates about how smart Godzilla is, there are just there are debates about how smart Godzilla should be. Wow! Uh, oh. So that's interesting. This one, uh, I'm on a form here, a Godzilla form. Please, uh, I'm, I'm just not going to read these. I'm not going to read anything from here, but I am mm-hmm. going to say that these are the names of the people on this these this Godzilla form. King Godzilla twenty four seven. Uh, Thrillerzilla, Doggyzilla, uh, Godzilla dot himself. That's good. That's a good one. Godzilla himself is here. Kaiju critic, critic with a K. Nice. Um, that's a good one. Oh, that's a that's legitimately a good and, username. And also, Kaiju critic has a really good answer. The question here is how intelligent should Godzilla be? And I'm Ka- loading up. I'm loading up this thread right now too. Kaiju critic says I've I've totally got the answer. The Raptors from Jurassic Park. Good answer. Like that's very good. specific. Yeah. Love it. Love it. 
This person says, not smart like King Kong and not a mindless brute. And it's interesting that they're like, King Kong, now that's a smart one. I mean, but King Kong shows, like, right. Has, empathy. But so yes. does Godzilla. Like, so Godzilla, Godzilla fights. Like, yes, he, he tromps through and kills presumably billions by yeah. marching through these cities. But, like, in the arc of the Godzilla films, he like, shows empathy and protectionism of uh, both uh, Earth when we right. get aliens involved as the right. series goes True. on. Yes. But in the near term for humanity, mm-hmm. despite the fact – well, I guess maybe he owes a debt to humanity. Like, he doesn't exist without of a humanity. <laughs> right. We, we all have to confront our parents at some point. It's true. Godzilla, you're welcome. <laughs> oh. No, but, like, every every monster is contextual. Like, every mm-hmm. monster is a reflection of some anxiety or some aspect of society. So the question is, like, the intelligence is kind of relevant to how does the monster comprehend the circumstances of its creation. Totally. I, actually, right? I think that this is a really fascinating debate. It, or not even debate, but, like, question, because it, it reveals a lot about what we want from these various monster stories, right? Like, Akio123 over here on the Godzilla-movies.com form is, like, you know, he shouldn't be able... Godzilla can't recognize a human's face. He's too damn big. Uh, and, like, and tries to say that Godzilla is, like, a hurricane or a tornado, a force of nature. But then this other poster is saying, like, well, I really like it when Godzilla solves problems and thinks, like, oh, I'm going to try to use my tail in this certain way. How am I going to use these electrical, like, uh, poles? And, like, things like that do suggest a degree of problem-solving and intelligence. And and then for, for this other poster, like, they're coming t- to Godzilla for that stuff more than the sort of, like... Lincoln Lincoln Clay style force of nature story, you know. Uh, I, I really like, I like thinking about what we get from from monster stories, um, and I think Baby, this is a good way to talk about Monster Hunter uh, because I think that that's a game that I really like a lot, and also I'm very conflicted about like which fantasy it's giving me, or like it's very conflicted about it in, in a weird way, in a way that I think works maybe. But well, can I just ask a question right at the start here? Yeah. Are they actually monsters? There's a range, I think. But, like, I mean, if we're, if we're talking about, like, the monster itself is a malevolent being that in some way, or, or a potentially malevolent, malevolent being, yeah. uh, that enters into our life mm-hmm. and fucks things up in a way that is a form of, like, poetic justice so no. for so some no. transgression. You're saying, like, the, no. the monster has agency. Like, it is choosing to be a threat as opposed to maybe its natural response or, or, is or, like a response to a threat mm, i read it as like effect based rob mm. that like it might not choose to be part of our lives but it enters into our lives maybe by circumstance and and derails a course that we were on is, is okay. this what you're saying rob is that i'm asking i'm asking for yeah no that's 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 it to a point i think the other thing i would add though is like as an example smog is a monster uh-huh right well, like is it i guess so i, I yeah, I mean, like he he knowingly like he's a he's a knowingly sadistic and violent creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I mean, there is intent and understanding behind everything that Smog the Dragon does. Right. But a dragon itself is not necessarily a monster, right? A dragon is just a mythological being that has no like it's an animal. Do you think Smog no becomes a monster once it descends on the village and yes. and begins destroying things? Yeah. All right, so then I'm of I'm of I'm of a number of minds here with Monster Hunter. No, they are not monsters because in Monster Hunter World specifically, not in the Monster Hunter series broadly, but in the world specifically, you are following these creatures 
to the new world where you are setting up a base and trying to research them and hunt them and kill them. And there are numerous points at which you could be like, there are numerous points where they're like, should we leave? And the answer is like, no, <laughs> no, we shouldn't. Um, where like, there are moments where it's like, there's a, this thing is going to make it really hard for us to stay. And and your response is then we better stop it so that we can stay. Uh, and in that way, I think the, I'm going to put this one out there. We might be the real monsters. Uh, but inside but don't, of, like, don't don't pretend the game is like doing a sneaky commentary on no, that. like, like it tries to do every some... time it it's like it it weirdly and I think uh, inappropriately tries to step into a conversation that it's not actually prepared to like fully to embrace nail. think through yeah nail, like for better or worse right like it, even if it comes down and like hey like you should feel like there's a world where like this game says like hey you should feel kind of uncomfortable with what you're doing. But also, like, you need that fang to build, to that, build armor. that sword. Yeah. Um, and I guess actually, that's that's sort of like where it, the, the the wishy washy version is kind of where it lands. Like, without yes. getting into like specifics of like where the story goes, but there's a specific beat that happened over the weekend that I sent you a message about, being yeah. like, "Fucking what?" Yeah. Like, like a certain twist that happens is that in uh, the broadest terms is like you go to a location and you discover the reason. This location exists. Well, if they said it's like this place is corrupt and it's evil, what could the secret be of this place? And like the twist is like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> like basically, it's like, oh, this place is totally natural, actually. Yeah, but but like keep keep probably go take that sword so, and like, uh, stab it into an animal. But that's that sounds like a subtle commentary, though, right? Like that that sounds yeah. Like the text of the game is like we come in believing we have an understanding of the world and that we right. Do but this then the next mission you get, Rob, is. Go kill the two kings of these two various areas, the two highest oh. places on the chain, so that you can prove to this other person that you are the top of the food chain, motherfucker. And then they'll tell you how to get the next thing you need in your quest. And so, like, it swings between those two very rapidly. Um, are the things it has you kill assholes? No. I mean, yes. they're, I mean, what do they're you mean? mean. Like, there's some like, mean dragons. There, there are some mean fucking dragons, but they're not mean in that they're... This is the thing is like, do you imagine a world in which a dragon that kills a smaller dragon or imagine that there is a dragon and a T-Rex and like a big iguana? Is it fine for that dragon to kill the T-Rex and for the T-Rex to kill the big iguana? I think it's fine. I'm not here to like say that we need to disturb that system. Right. Um, I would agree. Okay. So that's one big one. Uh, another big one would be like, okay, well, so, so I mean, like, these are the questions that I think the game could be asking, and like, does open up for us through the through the system of, of play, which is like, are hurricanes evil? Are are imagine there's a natural habitat that gets flooded and destroyed, is that a thing that we should stop, or is that also not with people in it? Let just let's just say that there is an island that's filled with 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 biodiversity, and. Uh, a, a volcano goes off and destroys it. Is that a thing that we should be concerned about stopping? Or is that just also part of nature just at a scale that is so hard for us to comprehend that it makes us feel like we should stop it? Or like, even in the context of the game, there are certain characters you'll run into who have chosen to live in this place and right. sort of become in some way, like either through choice or abandonment, like right. their vehicle. Like uh, at the point that you've come to this place been abandoned, you have no reasonable way out. At that point, are you now just a participant in the ecosystem, even though you've come from the outside, and are not necessarily evil for just trying to survive? Survive, So I think right, that's the right. difference, right? Like, yeah. like, often what you're doing in the game, especially in the non-mission structure, is not surviving. You are invading a habitat in order to slaughter these creatures for who, who again, like, 
they don't even aggro like the game is very specific about like how aggression yeah, and, totally. and fights begin which is not like if it was the case that you were coming into an area and they were immediately aggressive on site they had something against humans maybe you would feel less like you were uh the shitty uh aggressor here but with the way monster hunter world works is that you come into an area you could be walking around a fucking t-rex and the t-rex does not give a shit that you are there why because it's a T-Rex. Because it's a T-Rex. And then right. you, the asshole, climb up a vine and then do a spinning barrel roll off of the ledge. Which is Looking very cool. And you have charged up your weapon with R2 to make it even stronger. And then you bash its face in, knocking it out, and then slowly try and uh, break its heels so you can get like some of its claws that you might be able to use for like a, a badass shield. And like that moment always feels that combined with the way the animals and you wrote about this in your review austin right. they animate when they are on sort of like their their last uh, bit of life when they are just clinging um uh to, to the last hopes of sticking around they begin to try and find somewhere to sleep to regain energy oh my God. they lit they oh, limp dude, it's along rough. in yeah. a really uh sad like it's not it's like the way they convey like end of life for these creatures before you give the killing blow like I guess when, Rob, when you say, like, maybe it is actually talking about this, like, it's hard to tell, like, in the, anim- the, the like, yes. like, technically gorgeous animations that they have created for these creatures, especially when they reach sort of, like, their end-of-life moment, like, is what they're doing actually trying to generate empathy from the player, or, or did they just do a really good job of showing that this animal is weak and near death? Um, well, and, and it's, it's the thing that the, there's two things there. One is like part of the reason it works so well is the majesty and power of these creatures is so overwhelming when you first meet right. them. They're flying all over the place and leaping in ways that you can't even imagine and are surprising. And they do they do incredible things. Like we fought on the stream today. We, we streamed today uh, over on our Twitch. Um, there was a fight against a kind of a big spiny creature where throughout the fight, like giant, like a like a like a subway train sized thing that's like charging. It's almost like an armadillo. It roll up into a ball and then like charge at us with these big bony spikes and throughout the fight we would break the spines off and then in its final like act of defiance it dug deep into this giant like muddy gross bone pile and popped back out recovered in its spines that we'd broken off because it was revealing that it has this kind of like oil like textured body it was embedding the bones and spines of other creatures into it and rocks and stuff awesome. as it's so good. But then like you break that off and you cut off its tail and you can see the like bi like the, the bisected tail uh, meat. It's gross and it's limping away and it's like, okay, the entire range of of uh, of creature action is so compelling that by the time they're limping away and it's it's rendered like Patrick said with such with such you know uh, 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 similarity to seeing something sick and weak and dying that it it can feel bad but then you like kill it and then you pick up the next quest do you know what I mean um, yeah. you don't the loop continues there is no like off button there there is no branching path and there is no like like I guess you could theoretically try to capture the monsters uh, apparently if you but capture, it still gets you part. It still gets you like they, so Presumably, the, they someone, capture it, take it back, study it, and in the process of studying it, Someone it. says that – someone showed me a picture yesterday of the monster back in your base. If you've captured it, there is a what? place it goes that you can go see it. Um and then it's only the time. It's only that one time you get to see it. And so the oh. theory is like, well, maybe you're just getting the scales and the and the horns, and they're just cutting those off and then letting it go back. But oh yeah, that, that's totally fine. That sounds bad to me. One, <laughs> two, like 
no, no, come on, be honest with yourself. And it's okay to be honest with yourself that that sucks. Um, uh, but then the, the, the other thing there, I just, I do want to say is that the, so one is like that loop is the, is the thing that keeps you going. And like the notion of like, oh, I'm going to play this for 80 hours means I'm going to kill a ton of fucking monsters. Um, but the other thing there too is, is that the, in the process of like hunting them and getting close to them, there, there is this feeling of like mastery and there is another frame they could have used in which that mastery does feel like survival. And I say that because past games in the series have done that. It has been about like, oh, there is a plague that has infected these monsters. And like a lot of the creatures are, are totally normal, but the ones who've been infected are the ones who are a danger to the ecosystem. And so it's your job as like a hunter and slash like ranger to kind of bring that balance back. Well, that's wildlife management, which is a different which is thing. A, which is a different thing, right? Like yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not, uh, I, I think that there is, if I lived in Wyoming, I would probably own a gun because I'd be afraid of bears um, or whatever. Like not if I was living in a city in Wyoming, obviously, but if I was a park, <laughs> if I was living in like a big natural habitat, I do understand why someone would want to have a hunting rifle or something. Um, but I, but, and I understand that hunting is actually has a huge history inside of lots of, lots of communities and lots of cultures, uh, that, that are not just like colonialist culture. Like that, the, there is a reason to, to hunt in culture, uh, that has a, a history that I think is worth thinking about. Um, and, and that past monster hunter games have actually engaged with, um, uh, a, f- a fan of ours, a follower of ours, chef Lubu, uh, on Twitter, mentioned that there was a manga, a Monster Hunter manga for a long time that super emphasized the sort of research and study component of the of the setting and like being kind of uh, ecolo- uh, ecologists and, and uh, scientists, zoologists and uh, kind of like studying the, the habitats and being researchers. And that sounds super cool. And you do a little bit of that in the game, but mostly what you do is sick backflips and then you hit a monster in the head with a hammer and then I stab it with a gun lance and then discharge a worm, a worm spike or a worm oh stake, which then explodes. Oh, God, we had so the we had the highest of highs on yeah. our, our stream today that I, uh, we mentioned it on the stream. But for uh, there are a lot more people listen to this podcast than listen to or than watch that stream. If you if you're uh, I think you've seen that like Austin and I were both curious about this series, but for like years. not necessarily for years. We both and, and been like, like we should. This seems like the kind of game given that we like dark. Like people always described it as Dark Souls with dinosaurs, and mm-hmm. I just like ah. Like, I just couldn't get over the hump with previous entries or would get scared off when I would flirt with them. And uh, I have definitely gotten over that hump. And I think if you want to see two people who came into this with, like, you know, not sure if it was going to click for them, um, we experienced the kind of fight that both brings in the stuff that's unique to Monster Hunter World, just like the systemic interactions between creatures yeah in a big, and the environment space. huge like cool i don't even spoil stuff but like y- yeah there's some cool moments where the environment changes there's a moment that's like the duel of the fates from phantom menace <laughs> where we're separated Move, from Austin. each other you yeah. gotta run and it's like you're on one side of this obstacle with a dragon and i'm on the other side and there's nothing i can do to get to you until it clears up it's really cool mm. and i, so I yeah it, i mm, i like this game a lot but to go back to Rob's original question, and I also like this game a whole lot, uh, which is like, are they monsters? They're, at the same time, I want to reserve the right to say that there is a difference between the big iguana that you fight in the very, very, very beginning of the game. And, the and we- Diablos. And Diablos, or even just like the weird corpse dog that yeah. lives in the in the death pit. Who I, is- felt, I felt no sympathy when I slaughtered that thing. <laughs> that thing is terrifying. And like, and... 
the thing that's the thing that I like about this thing or the thing that this opens up on the question side is that like there is no difference between the big iguana thing and the corpse dog. The corpse dog isn't male- malevolent. It just looks malevolent. It's just rendered mm-hmm. in such a it's way aesthetic, yeah. that it like its aesthetic is like I, I mean I think I described this in the review as being as being uh, like. What if a tumor was a small subway car or if a, right. a, a dog was made out of the meat of a flexing bicep or something like that? Uh, it's it's gross and it has – there's a moment where it puts down its its claws and it has it has six claws and then it splits them and there are four more claws. And so it goes from having – you know, it goes from having basically 20 claws to having, to having 40 in a second. And I'm like, fuck this thing. This thing sucks. And it moves with just like incredible – speed and leaps at you in these weird angles almost like it leaps at you like you're doing fly fishing like it's a like it's a fly fishing uh uh uh, line just coming at you in these crazy curves that just like it it jumps up on the wall and then bounces off it's wild and so like but that's not a different thing than the big iguana you kill at the beginning of the game. But because it's built in such a way that preys on your predispositions about what monsters look like, it does feel like a monster. Also, it just puts you in danger. Like, you're just, you don't feel like you're in control of that fight. Um, it's, it's brilliant. Like, I think some of the monster design is really, really, really some of the coolest I've seen. Some of the most interesting and effective I've seen. Um, and, like, whatever reservations I have about the game, which I do have about, like, everything from some of its weird colonialism to the bad matchmaking, um, I still... Yeah. Again, that was we, you want to experience the high highs and the low lows. Ugh. Watch us trying to figure out what should be the most basic thing in the world in a game that is built around playing with other people. Like, it is not... It is a game that you can solo to some degree, but then there will be a point where the game... You either have to break from the game or you need to start playing with other people to continue like climbing the mountain and right. we hit that the fact that we just couldn't easily join each other's game and it took us about 20 minutes to figure out what the fuck to do including contradictory information from the chat because people in the chat were confused on like what you could and couldn't do especially if you're uh, if you're doing a story mission and have you seen the co- so like rob there's a thing in this game where if you're doing a story mission you can totally play that story mission together but only after each player has already seen the cutscenes in that yep. story mission. And that doesn't make any sense. So you be- can't actually play through the game with a buddy. You can get to the cutscene, then quit the mission, then restart the mission, and invite your buddy in. And that's just like... <sighs> Especially because the cutscene comes, the cutscenes come when you like find the monster. So you can't just like start the mission, quit out. You have to start the mo- the mission, track the monster down, find it, let the cutscene play, back out, invite the, your friend in, start over again, retract the monster, and then fight it. And so, like, just make that simpler, Capcom. Please figure out a way to, to streamline that. You've made so much of the rest of the game so much more, more, uh, so much more. Maybe not accessible. Accessible is the wrong word. It's not accessible. But, but the, it's it's the on ramp is is easier. Yeah. Uh, than I, before. Like I, I, it's not a game that like compromises what it is. Yeah. In in pursuit of making it easier for more people to get into it. I also, but I think it's it speaks to the fact that both you and I have that like. If you if you've been a Monster Hunter curious, like this is the game that you could you could scale and at least come I, to terms with whether you actually would like it or not. This game has made me think a lot about about this notion of approachability or or you know accessibility in the sense of onboarding and on ramping, um, because it didn't it didn't necessarily make those things simpler. It does a bad job of teaching you the weapons. 
it doesn't do a job at all of actually of teaching the 14 <laughs> different weapons. It's a really, it doesn't do it. It's like, oh, you have It just them. says, here's 14. I guess go to a tutorial section that's optional if you'd that like to check that shows out. shows you some but combo really, chains. You should it's probably bad. check out this YouTube video in which somebody compares the weapons in this game to other weapons in video games. In other and games. Maybe that will actually tell you what you're supposed to do and which weapon you should use. The hammer's pretty but good. But what so it does do lives. is like it gives you handholds of a different sort, which are like... Wow, did you see that dragon throw that T-Rex off the top of this this tree? And like it keeps you there through the the hard climb up the mountain, not by giving you like not by lightening your load, you know, not by making the the mountain easier to climb. So maybe even handholds is the wrong metaphor, but it keeps letting you see what the peak looks like. You know what I mean? It keeps letting you say, like, yo, when you get up here, you're going to be doing this cool shit all the time. Check out this cool monster that spits poison from its tail. Check out this cool monster that, like, is a weird flying electric squirrel that screeches. And, like, all that stuff is so much encouragement to push through the difficulty in a way that when I've touched past Monster Hunter games, there's stuff there that's cool. Like, I'm not saying that there, that this was a bad series until now or something. But it was never enough for me to get over that the hill and, and like, actually internalize a weapon to the point that I loved it and that I wanted to start experimenting with new weapons and that I would hit the quote-unquote high rank quests whereas here they really stick that landing um, and that is like enough I think to really lean into it um, and again like I actually like I said in the in, in the review I actually think that like some of the thematic and political stuff actually fucking sucks and uh, I would be remiss to not say that like I, I think that the it falls so I don't think it's malicious. I don't think this is like a game where Japanese devs are like, and we're going to make a game about about Western colonialism. You know, we're we're in, in favor of it or something. I think this is just bad missteps, uh, and and I think that can be enough to that can be enough to, to put some people off. And it's worth thinking about that stuff. Uh, I think that there's like, I had a quest the other day, or not even a quest. It's one of those things like, oh, this should be really cool, but there's some baggage here that these devs probably did not think about at all. In which there are these like native cat people. Um, either they're native, or they showed up with a previous fleet, and now they're they're like native tribes or something. I don't know what the what the full story is there, but they are like the cat people who are out in the world. And most of the time, when you see one, if you see one, they can join up with you and they can become a hunter with you, which is like oh cool. If you see them in certain maps, they're like get the fuck out of here. And they will, like, put you to sleep in the middle of your monster fight with, like, poison darts and stuff like that. And they'll fight you, like, to get you away from their territory. Um, that's what I'm referencing in that review when I talk about literally fighting, needing to kill native people to, like, do your hunt. It's like, get the, hey, gotta kill these cat people so that I can fight my dragon because they're bothering me while I'm fighting my dragon. Uh, but then I hit this quest, or this, like, open world quest sort of uh, the other day where my cat ran into another cat who was, like, from one of these tribes. And my cat was like, oh, by the way, Rob, you have a hunting cat in this game. And also okay. when I say cat, I mean they're people. They're cat people. They're little cat okay, people. Are the cat people like shapeshifters or cat people like the chicks in Escaflona? <laughs> Neither. They're little cats who stand on their hind legs and wear armor and have swords. And they're incredibly cute. Whoa, wait. What are you talking about? Like fucking house cats yeah, I'm talking that, about like, like, go to war i'm talking about house cats what go to war i'm talking about i'm talking about martin i'm talking about red wall i'm talking about that real furry oh, shit yeah that classic shit that's what i'm talking about um 
and they're cats and they put on armor and they fight. And so my cat was like, oh, we're going to chase this one down. And you like chase it through its, its like habitat through this, the, the ancient forest and you climb a bunch of vines and it's like, yo, stay away from me. And you're chasing it and it's, it's like yelling at you in, in broken language because it's just like, nya, leave me alone or whatever. <laughs> and, and your cat is like, but we're going to be friends. Um, and you eventually chase it back to its HQ, its like little camp. And they do like a, a little back and forth and your cat is just like, Hey, we're not bad. We're from we're just from the camp nearby. We're friends. And then it goes like, "Oh, well now you can be part of our tribe." And then it's done. And it's one of those things that's like, "Oh, this y'all had like an idea on a whiteboard somewhere and like it resulted in this where now my cat is part of this thing's tribe because they talked once and now it can use this new piece of this new gadget that it got." And that is a really that is a real pregnant uh uh sequence if inside of a certain history and i'm not saying you can't have tribes in your games or whatever but like you you y'all are walking on some eggshells right now in a way that maybe was was not thought through all of the way especially given that the game literally opens with like oh you're going to the quote-unquote new world um and like that stuff is is it's a bummer because uh, again i had the way i wrote about it in my in my uh review is like every time it happens it's a speed bump uh, in what otherwise has been just like a game that has had me totally, completely in love with it. Um, and who knows, I, I you know, I'm 35 hours in or something now. There is still some story stuff to do, and there's a chance that this all turns around and it does turn into you were the real monsters all along. Uh, but then my guess is after that cutscene plays, you go back to camp and you turn whoever told you that you were a monster into a cool shield. So uh, we'll see. <laughs> We'll see. We should we should take a quick break uh, and come back and talk more about monsters in the form of zombies, probably, um, because I hear there are a billion of them. Rob, is that true? A billion? Uh, that might be slightly exaggerated. Okay, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> That's the music. People are going to hear this because none of this is going to work. We'll see. We'll see. If it, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And then that won't be on us this time. Uh, <laughs> like normally where we just forget to take a break. Um, all right. We are back. Uh, Rob, while, while Patrick and I have been playing Monster Hunter, you have been Roasting playing... Roasting meat. Well done, steak. Well done. Well done, steak. Oh, just a regular uh, steak. Not good enough. Well nah, done. Throw gotta it out. Got to get... Yeah. I, you know what? I don't like a well done steak anymore i grew up on well, no, yeah, no 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 this weird talking about monster hunter okay i want to make sure medium we're rare please yes 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 exactly rob you've been playing they are they are billions still uh you and i actually played a little bit of that um how's that been going uh it's been going pretty well uh i am bad at the billion stage <laughs> wait, what's, uh, wait, wait what's the billion stage is that the final like the end it's game it's the final push so what does that stage look like I guess, like, mechanical spoilers okay, so, for they are billions here. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this. It's very classic RTS, right down to the, like, the map is randomized. So a big part of it is, like, exploring the map and figuring out what your defensible borders are. 
how to get the most resources possible within your perimeter mm-hmm. uh, without compromising your defensibility, as it were. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the game, uh, at some point, like very near the, the date you need to hold out until, uh, at which point the game will end, uh, you get the message uh, that there's a massive horde coming and they are billions. Uh, and Does the that map show reveals... up on the screen? Is that what happens, basically? Yeah. Okay. Uh, like every time there's a swarm coming, you get you get an alert. Uh, this one you get instead of eight hours warning, you get twenty four hours warning. So uh, the amounts like maybe two minutes of game time to make final prep, mm-hmm. and then the map reveals, and you see just rivers of uh, like red pouring across the mini map toward your base, uh, and every like red pixel it represents one zombie. Uh, it just like blots out the screen. Oh wow! Um, and they start hitting everywhere. And the thing is, they follow kind of like almost fluid dynamics, where like they will sort of oh, channel wow. toward an obstacle. They'll hit it. Right. But if a backup starts, zombies will start to veer away and into a different channel. Okay. So like a uh, big part of this game ended up being. So while we were playing it, we streamed it last week. I think that that archive is up now on, on YouTube. Uh, if it isn't, it should be by tomorrow, probably. Um, well, a big thing that you were kind of emphasizing as my as my tutor, was my They Are Billions tutor, was like, think about how the natural environment will, one, provide kind of borders for the town you're defending, but also how it will direct the big hordes of zombies as they kind of flow in, and how they can actually... how the kind of uh, natural breaks can actually screw up your prediction about where they show up. So, like, if you just imagine a square map and a a kind of a, a uh, you know, a, let's say a mountain range uh, that is to the southwest, like exactly at, like, you know, so let's say 7 or 8 o'clock, you know, on a clock, basically, um, you don't necessarily know if it's going to, if the zombie, when they when the zombie horde hits that mountain range, are they going to flip over to the, to the, kind of left side and go north or if they're going to come kind of around the the other side and come up from your south basically or kind of like from your from your west or your south um and i can imagine as the numbers get bigger and bigger the answer is they come from both they come yeah uh literally everywhere that's the thing like you will see you will see them pouring in from every direction all at once and that's their thing like every other wave usually hits Along one half of your base, at least. Right. And you can at least figure out that, like, okay, out of these three positions that cover an arc from the, uh, you know, north through the west down to the south, of those positions, I can reinforce those and strip everything off the east. I can I can rush right. toward where the action's going to be. In this final stage, everything's going to hit all at once, which means you can't actually deploy to fend it off right, you, you can't to... say all right my entire eastern front shift to my west or my south so that you can defend there you then have to actually reinforce those positions and just like hope you have enough yeah and you probably don't i i certainly don't um i've come really close uh like painfully close oh. um like we like i have been within a few ticks of the clock uh like if i could have lasted uh, probably another like minute, thirty seconds. Jesus, I would have had it, but my colony fell before that could happen. So here's a question: Are you still able to do? Do the kind of micro tricks completely fall apart at that stage? Uh, 
Not really, but it a, a little bit. So you can actually you can become uh, sort of a god tier micro player in this game, but you can always pause. Right. Uh, you can right, basically right. play the final stages as like a turn based or like pausable continuous time strategy game. Right. I guess I guess for clarity for what I mean when I say micro play is like uh, in in. Do you want to talk about your? You know way more about RTSs than me, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you can like so yeah, like a thing you can do and this is this is something you'll you'll probably have to pick up at their billions. You can send a squad out onto the map and have them take a pot shot or five at an incoming horde. That will pull aggro from that horde. Uh-huh. And a bunch of them will come streaming after you. And if you stay there a little while longer, more of that horde will channel toward your guys and then you can sort of like kite them toward where your defenses are actually best and away from maybe a softer part of your line. You can totally do that. Uh, but it does get kind of impossible in the, like in the, in the final stage, in the billion stage. The problem is there's really no space to get out to. There's nowhere you can kite around. Um, and I'm really sort of... The, the thing I'm running into, and this is what's kind of cool about this game, is you have to be thinking about are you going to stake everything on holding that outer perimeter or right. are you willing in that final stage to shit can huge parts of your base and defend to an even stronger position well because part of the mechanic is and this is a pretty good reflection of one of the ways in which zombies are used thematically is that zombies are a corrupting force. If, if one gets in, it can totally turn your base against itself um, because all of your buildings have a certain threshold. They have like a destruction threshold, but they also have a corruption threshold. Yes. And so if they get damaged a certain amount by the zombies, they will become little mini zombie factories, almost like um, in Gauntlet you would have those little monster factories. Shout out to Monster Factory. They gotta have like those little like monster generators, basically, in in Gauntlet, where all the enemies would pour out of, and all of your buildings. Not maybe not all of them, but all of your like your crude buildings. Anybody where a person, any building where there's a worker there, can become a factory for zombies, basically. Um, and and so you end up being in these situations where it's like oh, this happened while we were streaming it last week, where it was like, oh, is it just better to burn this all fucking down? And like try to rebuild it afterwards and pull all of those people away. And because the alternative to, to keeping this, trying to keep this little district we've set up alive is that the zombies will get reinforced here. And so you end up having to make those really hard choices about that. And also, they're very vain choices because, I mean, as you told me while we were playing, it was like, oh, this game is also a city builder. It's also about building an efficient and, and frankly, like, f- well laid out city both in terms yep. of of like lines for for your soldiers to run through and making sure that they can get from the eastern wall to the western wall but also just in terms of like i want it to look kind of good you know um yes it's good that the farm that we made room for the farms but i don't want the farm district to look cool and so there's a bit a bit of me maybe it's also because we started calling them things like the zachney quarter and the walker district that didn't help but like I wanted that stuff to to be there and like for it to stick around and stay, and I had to burn it down because otherwise I would never be able to build anything again. Um, and that's really an interesting thing in an RTS. Uh, I've never played an RTS that has something like that in it in that way, um, but that also just shows my lack of RTS, you know, playing experience maybe. 
yeah, I mean, but even even by those standards, I think this one does uh, goes pretty far down the city layout route. I think two big things is uh, there are two buildings, the market and the uh, bank. Uh-huh. That the market reduces how much food your dwellings consume. So, like each farm will go a lot farther if you've got a market uh, that has an, like a area of effect on these buildings, and so they eat less food, which means you can build more housing. Uh-huh. Uh, banks make each dwelling more uh, more productive on the gold front, uh, but that encourages you to build these really densely populated like downtowns where like all the residential housing is clustered. Problem is, infection spreads like wildfire through in, like residential zones. Like an industrial building's huge, but like it doesn't spawn that many zombies relative to its size, right? right, right. But like a zombie gets into one house in a dense residential area where there's like forty or fifty dwellings, mm-hmm. you are fucked. It's right. over. Like that is you are going to watch just a cascade roll through your town, and, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, and that will happen like in seconds. Like it's one of the worst things is you will have your your like your field troops, the ones not like on the walls. You will have them rushing toward that one like house that was vulnerable, and you'll get there just in time to see it like all in fall fact. apart. Yeah, yeah, and then it just it becomes overwhelming. Uh, yeah, it's. It's really quite cool. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun tinkering with those defenses and sort of like in the previous waves, you've seen how they tend to hit an area of your defenses, like what what routes they tend to follow. Right. Uh, and so by the time you've hit the billion stage, you should have anticipated that like, okay, well, actually, they don't hit this line squarely. They actually hit it at a weird angle, uh, which means that corner uh, has become the critical point of the entire of the entire line, right? right. Like you're you're blocking off a huge section of the map, but actually, the entire defense hinges on like four tiles, basically that you have to keep the zombies off of. Right, uh, which which ends up being like a kind of a cool thing in terms of where you are deciding to put your focus um, and get figuring out what those tiles are. Right, because you're also trying to figure out. The, the so much of that game is just like how do I best how do I build the best machine that is also a town you know yeah. um, and sometimes that means like ah fuck I could really I really want to use this perfect green prairie for farmland or hunting land to get food but what I really need right now is more electricity I got to build a mill here or something like that and so like that stuff over ends up overlapping with those concerns about defense and then also the concerns about whether or not what you're building is a group of structures that together could turn into a huge ca- uh, catastrophe for you. Um, it's neat. I really like it. I, I want to get back to that stream that we did, maybe finish off that one game at the very least. Uh, um, I don't think that'll take long. Listen, maybe it's the, it'll be the one. We'll be the one. I can't believe we held that. Uh, I know. It was it was bad. I mean, that's so that's my one, I'd say, one downside right now. It's like, I didn't think we would win that fight. I'm confident we will not win the next one. And so now it feels like we're going to play for 20 more minutes to lose. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's yeah. a weird... That's why in multiplayer games you go GG and that's it. I'm out. Like, I good game. I'm done. Um, because I can see that you've lo- that I've lost already. Like, you know, in, in Hearthstone or, or, or Magic the Gathering terminology, the zombies have lethal, right? Like, they're going to get me on the ne- their next go around. I don't know that I can build something that will keep them away. Um 
or I'll get lucky and I'll win because of luck. And that's what happened last time. Well, so so there are some, and this is the, this is the fun thing is like, okay, so a little bit of context for why I think this fantasy is so compelling. Uh, setting aside the uh, sort of tropes of like zombie, well, actually. Even Romero was often using like zombies as sort of an expression, a knowing expression mm-hmm. of like 1970s like urban anxiety, right? Uh, in a lot of ways, and like uh, sort of the dynamics behind like white flight, yep. uh, for instance, reflected in zombie movies in a way that was like knowing and very critical, uh, which is which is why I think a lot of those movies hold up uh, in a way that a lot of later zombie fiction doesn't because later zombie fiction literally just thinks, what if you could just like murder everyone in the city? And it was awesome. <laughs> and it was cool as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. But the other part of this is, um, the thing about like people fighting a war is that they generally won't just walk into a meat grinder. Like with the exception of a very few, like, you know, you have to land on Omaha beach. That's the only way into France. So people do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a bloodbath. But for the most part, like your, your great fortifications, your, your, your epic citadels of history rarely see any action. Their very existence is meant to ensure that like nobody fucking attacks, right? right? They go somewhere else. Uh, it's, it, it's sort of the, it's sort of the nuke of the, uh, you know, of the medieval and early modern age. Uh, but damn it, sometimes we want to see people run into the meat grinder. We want to design elaborate murderous mousetraps and then just feed an ever, like, you know, an ever-flowing tide uh, into it. And that's what their billions is kind of letting you do. You're playing, you're, you're playing an RTS against an enemy that will oblige you and walk predictably into your defenses every time. Now, the question is, can you build the defenses right. like beautifully enough and perfectly enough to kill them fast enough before they breach in the late game. And this is why I have some hope for our, for our continuation, Austin. Uh-huh. We're real close to a couple technologies okay. that will but, really give us a fighting chance. I mean, even uh, those the first like, is the weird... shock tower. Okay. I was going to say even like the one piece of like autonomous, like ranged super ballista or whatever it was called. That's just like an automatic machine gun of arrows seemed to be a huge change in how defenses worked, which was great. Yeah, because those will target the special infected, um, and uh, veteran snipers will also just mow down uh, your, your dangerous infected. Uh, but the thing that really helps you like stem the tide of uh, like zombies coming in is the shock tower, mm-hmm. uh, which has like a five-second charge up, but then it unleashes like a massive like zap of electricity gotcha. that basically fries everything in an arc, and you will see the zombie wave just get like incinerated up to a point uh, of the 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 edge of the radius, basically, wow. and then they come flooding back in. Right. But in five seconds, it's going to happen again. Uh, so we that's just like need critical. like twelve of those, and we'll be fine. Yeah, and uh, well, then you can also get the the executor turret, uh, which is just. What if we made a Gatling gun that shot like sixteen-inch artillery pieces, like sure. artillery shells? Yep, good. Uh, and it's fucking awesome. <laughs> like it's incredible. So I think we, I think we have a chance. Uh, and even if we don't, we'll it is a lot of fun there. watching those things. Just yeah, yeah, just shred yeah. waves. I'm excited. So we'll try to get back to that maybe this week. That would be great. Um, all right, we should go into the question bucket with the time that we have left. Uh, as always, if you have a question, you can send it in to gaming at vice.com. Um, this one, uh, comes in from a person whose name I've hidden by mistake. Let me go backwards and find it. 
here it is. It came in from uh, Mike. Mike says, uh, as I was listening to Austin's review of Monster Hunter World, I was struck by his description of feeling sympathy and pity for the monsters he was slaying. It led me to remember a moment I had a few years ago. It was during one of those long high school summers where, I spent, where I'd spend day after day repetitively playing the same games without thought of anything else. I was zoned out on the couch listening to a podcast and playing Left 4 Dead 2. If I remember correctly, I was attempting to get an achievement for beating a certain mission using only a machete. As I was standing in a corner slicing away at these human bodies with human faces filling my screen, I started to feel disgusted with myself. Maybe it was due to the repetitive nature of the machete swinging action or my disconnection from the game due to half playing, half listening. But whatever it was, this new perspective made me seriously question what the hell I was doing. There I was, a semi-respectable teen, staunchly anti-violent, sitting here in my PJs hacking away at digital people. It felt wrong, almost immoral. A while later, I was having a conversation with my dad in which he referred to Red Dead Redemption as, quote, that hunting game you play. I was repelled by this description. My first thought was, but it's so much more than that, which it is, of course. I was uncomfortable with my dad's idea of me being someone who would find enjoyment in even the virtual act of hunting animals for fun. But I can't deny the fact that I spent hours and hours of that game shooting at defenseless and sometimes defenseful animals for fun. It felt odd that there was such a disconnect between my actions in-game and my actual values. At this point, I find it, uh, I feel, I feel, at this point, I find it hard to feel comfortable playing violent games. When playing Breath of the Wild, I had to constantly create this narrative in my head, equating the Bacoblins to ancient ideas of fiends or demons, beings with no capability for anything but evil and mischief. This is bizarre and kind of stupid, but I found it hard to let myself connect with the game otherwise. For the most part, to avoid these mental gymnastics, I tend to stick with nonviolent games. Have any of you had experiences where, where different perspective, either within yourself or coming from someone else, made you question the morality uh, of the acts you commit in a video game? Morality in, in quotes there. Uh, does it ever make you uncomfortable? Obviously, I don't think that the creation or of or playing of violent video games are actually immoral or wrong. But they don't sit well with me when I think of how much they conflict with my beliefs and how I choose to carry myself in the real world. Thanks for the podcast, and feel free to cut as much of this email as you'd like, because it's definitely too long, Mike. Um, I mean, I think we've talked about this a lot already today, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's slap that question at the beginning, at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, totally. Uh, but I think there's a, a broader thing there, too, because, I, I don't know, I, I, I've spoken about this with a tons, of, tons of games, right? Um and and I, I spoke about this on Twitter this weekend too, which is to say that like uh, I made I made a series of tweets that basically said there are lots of people who are upset at my Monster Hunter review because it mentioned this this part that I think compromises it. It's it's political th- you know themes and and kind of it's uh it's probably unintentional um kind of use of of kind of this colonialist fantasy. Um, and part of what the critics of that piece say is like oh you're saying not to play the game because of this. And like, that's not what I'm saying. And in fact, have spent my whole life playing things that I think are compromised politically, um, that like are racist or are homophobic or are, you know, are neoliberal or whatever. Uh, and finding joy. From no, not that. Things. Listen, <laughs> that's 99% of things, right? I was going to say, I was like, you're kind of lumping that into a, uh, there's uh, a couple piles there. Those things overlap very clearly is what I'll say. Uh-huh. Those things overlap in, in the ways that are like absolutely about the reduction of, of race and sexual identity into, into capitalist values. Uh, and like the only way you're allowed to be black or gay is if you can fucking commercialize it. 
Um, and the, or black or queer is really what I mean there. Um, the, the thing that I'll say is that like, I, the thing that I ended up saying was like, we actually, I actually play and watch and read lots of things that I have issues with and find joy in them anyway. Um, and so that ends up being this very difficult thing, but also I do my best to recognize my, my privilege in moments when I'm not needing to check that, you know, and, and, and play despite my concerns. Um, you know, I, I actually spent a long time being the sort of person who was like, oh, I don't mind about hunting in games, like, no big deal at all. And at some point it did start to get to me. Uh, but but for a long time I was just like, oh, that's totally fine. It doesn't bug me because I don't have, you know, actually important feelings about this one way or the other. Um, and now, like, now that I do, I definitely have this feeling of guilt but like playing a game that is filled with racist, racist caricature, like I often have to find my own joy in there anyway. Uh, but like I said in the review, I also wouldn't hold it against anybody who is like, no, I can't do this, you know. Um, I think it, I mean, it's it, yeah, and but like I think what people need to, to recognize or remember is like understanding like the problems you have with something, and then deciding I'm just generally going to put that aside. But I want like there's point there's importance in recognizing yeah. the problems, acknowledging they exist, and then saying to yourself, despite that, I'm going to continue enjoying this thing because I get why out of it. And like that's those all it can exist at the same time. Like they're not mutually exclusive. Right. Like we can talk about the the problems with like Monster Hunters politics and also go the mechanics are unbelievably good it is tremendously fun to play um and i don't necessarily think about the politics on a minute-to-minute basis but at times i'm reminded of them it kind of bums me out i wish it approached it differently and yet i'm still gonna do that spinning barrel roll off of a fucking cliff (laughs) and slam down on that monster's face right and like that's oh that's fine that's okay like that's that's the reality of of the world and it's like it's a worse thing to pretend that stuff doesn't exist than to acknowledge it does exist and just try and try to find some some pleasure it's it's compartmentalizing but doing so in a way that recognize is why you're pulling a thing apart and looking at it from different ways and that's that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it a disservice you're just understanding it for what it is there was a piece about monster hunter by bob mackey uh from when when uh, written for us gamer a few years ago about how you know bob mackey is a is a vegetarian or pescatarian or whatever um uh, i believe i believe in in the piece he's like try, starts to qualify and then he's like ah it's not even worth getting into um <laughs> but he's a vegetarian who who hated the series at first because like i he didn't the reason he's a vegetarian is because he doesn't like causing harm to animals but i ended up being able to compartmentalize that and enjoy the game for what it was, separate from his personal beliefs. That said, I also think I want to say that Mike's solution, which is like, oh, there's lots of games in which I don't have to kill anything, actually. They're all dope. Like, is also a viable solution here. Like, I I don't want to condemn someone like Mike who's like, oh, I'm really uncomfortable with this, so I'm not going to do it with uh, by saying, like, no, just get over it. Like, don't be too sensitive or whatever. Like, no, if you if it, if it really hits you that way bounce off and like, go find something else there's there is lots of other stuff there um but but also if you are compartmentalizing that that means like there are two types of compartmentalization right there's a kind that happens automatically in which you just say like no 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 no, no it's just a game i'm not going to engage with this fuck off like if you say anything about this you suck bye or there's the version that's like yeah there are some fucking issues here that i'm not comfortable with i will strive to find 
media that does engage with it in a way that I'm interested in, and also will continue to engage with this thoughtfully and critically in a way that I can get the enjoyment I want from it without ever letting, without kind of being a passive participant who lets it wash over me and like kind of seduces me into not thinking about that stuff. Maybe not like in a broader sense, but even when I'm just playing this game. Um, and I don't think that that takes away from my joy in, in the, in the, like the broad, like I'm, I'm still doing, I'm still enjoying Monster Hunter World. Like I said, those are speed bumps. Uh, they're not, they're not like complete off ramps. I mean, at this point, like I, I also take pleasure, like part of like what I take pleasure in is critique, right? Like I enjoy, like I like to know what fantasies or dreams or worldviews a piece of media is servicing, right? right? And, and the ways in, in which it is servicing them. I like seeing both how, uh, you know that intent is represented, and then maybe also the ways that it like unintentionally betrays itself, or mm-hmm. or reveals uh, you know a counter argument within itself. Like whatever the whatever uh, Monster Hunter World is trying to do, uh, whatever the intent was, the way the animals were animated and rendered and brought to life also made them objects of sympathy and reflection. Right, and right. whether or not that was meant to happen. Somewhere within Monster Hunter, it is contradicting itself yeah. and making you question whether or not this is something you really want to be doing, whether or not this is a fantasy you should have. And it is healthy and, and great to be able to ask those questions and sort of contextualize your entertainment in those broader conversations. And the more you know, the greater your context. And yeah, sometimes the more judicious you'll have to be, but also the richer a lot of your enjoyment will be. Totally. What I do not like is there's a way of reacting to this sort of broader awareness that is very much like lock the door, like pull down the shades, turn out the lights and pretend no one's home. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've always felt like a lot of that is because on some level, there's an acknowledgement that the argument cannot be won. That, in fact, those problematic elements, 100%, they are there. You aren't imagining it. It exists. It is within the text of the game. But rather than confront that and admit, like, one's own complicity with it and one's own comfort with those narratives, uh, one simply tries to pretend they're not there at all and fuck you for pointing it out. (laughs) And at that point, you are now just doing someone else's dirty work. You know what I mean? Like for the sake of you, for your entertainment, for the sake of your own comfortable complacency, you are now carrying water for capitalist or colonialist enterprise. Right. Well, like there was another question that, that came in that I'm not going to read word for word here. Um, but it, it came in from, from Omar who, who basically said like, how do you deal with when you see a thing in this space that no one else is 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 responding to in this way, um, and referenced you know uh, uh, Ugandan knuckles is a big one uh, because that's been everywhere over the last week, um, which is a which is a meme that's kind of spread through the the kind of rise of this game called VR Chat VR. What's do you, Patrick? Do you remember the name of that game? Yeah, it's VR, VR Chat. Um, and has like been seen at like esports events, and then over the weekend, Razor, the hardware company, retweeted a piece of art, a fan art that included this this like absolutely racist meme, 
Um, uh, and and if you're going to tweet at me and say, "What? How is it racist?" It's because the joke is it's a guy who sounds it's a black guy's funny. That's black guy voice is funny. Is the joke that is there that people are laughing at, and that is the depth of the entire joke. Well, and the implication that an African version of anything yes. is somehow less than an off-brand and 100%. fucked up and shitty. In a way. And, and, it's like, and of course it's Knuckles, right? And, and of like course it's, it's Knuckles, that, who, who is yeah. a character who has this heritage or has this history of being like tribal or tribal adjacent. Uh, shout outs to, to people on the internet who think adjacent is the new SJW word. Extremely funny. Um, uh, you People, if you are interested in learning more about, because like the, we're not going to get into it here, but yeah. the actual like long history of that meme and its various, uh, uh, the way it got to where it is now, go listen to, I think it's the most recent episode of Reply yep. All, um, in which they do a, a really good job of explaining like how it went from like actually innocent and funny and like supporting a really cool thing yeah. from like a budget filmmaker in a different part of the world to... The, to the thing uh, it is now, the yeah. uh, twisted racist thing that it is now, and I think often when you see that stuff, like people are taken aback by when, like, there may be people who are participating in that meme, and I, I bet it's a lot of them who don't understand totally. what they're doing is racist. But then when it is pointed out that what you are doing is racist or has racist implications, um, the response to that is not to say "fuck you," like I didn't know, to like say "oh, oh shit, shit, that's bad." Yeah. Um, I'm glad I understand that now. Like, but people don't want their joke taken away, right? Well, like, well and then and, and that sort of like cl- clinging to the idea that this is harmless entertainment, your identity gets bound up with it. At it's not a it's not a long walk there from there to like okay, you are now actively invested in taking the side of. Uh, you know the the exploiter rather than the exploited, right? The the owner rather than the employees. Well, and then this is the this is like the larger dilemma too, because I mean, this is what you're speaking about, Rob. Is like, is the point at which where is the point at which silence is complicity, and in which by not, you know, I don't think by Mike Mike deciding that Mike is going to not play Red Dead Redemption's hunting stuff or something is not going to shift the world's you know understanding of. Uh, you know, violence against animals, or about gun rights, or about anything else. Like, I don't think that 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 is a is not an action that is going to shake the political spectrum, you know, and, and change things necessarily. Um, but that sort of like defensiveness around it does prevent certain conversations from developing that can, over the course of time, kind of snowball into a shift in in what the political paradigm is. Um, and at the same time, there is difficulty there. Like, I. I there is a, a great irony uh, or a, a uh, I think it would be irresponsible of me to be like, and then that's all we have to say about this without saying that like last week on this podcast, Danielle and I went really hard on a game for its use of uh, a dead name in the in the story that turned into like a whole bit of, of controversy on the internet. And we heard lots of criticism, um, you know, which we listened to very carefully. Uh, some of it came from people who were really shitty and some of it came from people who were genuinely hurt that we would go so hard after a game that involved uh, a trans creator. The the trans uh, creator on that game did not write that sequence or anything like that, but was involved in, in the creation of the game, did all the music for the game. Um, and we had a dialogue that we published on the site with both the writer of the game and the trans musician who was part of the team. Uh, and that sort of emerges from the anxiety around what you're talking about, Rob, which is like, there is an anxiety to, or a desire to, not anything. It's it's partially an anxiety, but it's but, it, but it's also just like a, a pure desire to speak up when you see something that's fucked up, 
Uh, and in the case of that game, without that context of who created it, but also just in the text of the of the work in which it didn't seem like it was a personal narrative. It didn't seem like you were exploring an individual character's you know, uh, uh, history or, or something like that. It was just like this kind of brief thing that, that didn't, that the landing didn't stick for, for Danielle or I, there's a sort of like ring the alarm bell response that needs to be, I think, balanced with some context to some degree, at least. uh, And that reflects the degree of, of harm that could be done. I think if we made a misstep there, it's there, which is like billions or not billions, millions of people are going to play, Monster Hunter. Uh, and so it's important for me to, to try to reach those millions of people and say, hey, while you're playing, think about this this angle that you maybe did not see uh, and to go hard on it and to be willing to go hard on it because lots of people worked on that game and lots of lots of people are in a position where like maybe they can shift the story back in the direction of Monster Hunters of past. Um, but that like the, the four person dev team on Red Strings Club you know, there's there is a, a much smaller risk of harm there in some ways. Uh, that's not to say that we shouldn't criticize it. I stand by the writing and I stand by the criticism. I think that like that is not necessarily executed well uh, in in that game. But at the same time, it's it's been a really interesting week to go from like huge from small game from tiny team makes a mistake that I again I stand by that evaluation of it. But then go to a game where it's a huge game that offers a lot of things, but also makes a big mistake. And so it's one of the reasons why I felt like I had to write that stuff in the Monster Hunter review was like, even though it's, you know, uh, as, as as far as I know, my Native American ancestry is very low. <laughs> um, being being an African-American often means that you're... you're uh, kind of your family tree disappears at a certain point uh, because slavery is a motherfucker. Uh, but... At the same time, even though that's not necessarily my direct lane, so to speak, I know what I saw in that game. I saw the this sort of like very empty calorie version of a new world colonialist fantasy that had no intention about it. Wasn't it's not like and then it's not like pro manifest destiny in the sense of like there's a call to action or anything, but it does use those those that rhetoric and, and those symbols in a way that's really uncomfortable. And so like. I know we ha- we have to talk about that stuff, and it's about finding the way to both do it where we're making sure we're not falling into the kind of water-carrying problem that you just outlined, Rob, while also making sure that we are recognizing the, the agency and players to engage with that stuff at various levels, as you kind of outlined, Patrick, and also the context that they emerge from, so that so that, that response is like equitable and and powerful and hopefully powerful enough to move to move things a little bit um so that is my my attempt to reconcile this conversation with the past conversation because i wanted to make sure that those two things are, are aligned you know um apologies for that seven minute rant <laughs> yeah it was it was a real rant you really uh, peeled the paint off the walls there <laughs> welcome Damn. to angry austin on youtube this is my new thing i'm angry all the time but mostly angry at a lack of nuance that even i can slip into sometimes Follow me, like and subscribe, or don't, <laughs> or don't, and then I have a new do, thing. But to, actually, but do please it. do it because engagement <laughs> is how I make money. Uh, I think that that's going to do it for us. I think that we are pretty much out of time uh, on that one. Uh, where can people find you on the internet, Patrick? Find me at Patrick Klepek. How about you, Rob? At Rob Zachney. Shout out to Bowen for letting us use his track "Miss You" off the EP "Pale Machine." 
Uh, you find out more info about that at waypoint.zone. You can find me, nope, waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. You can find me at Austin underscore Walker on Twitter. You can follow uh, Waypoint on Twitter at twitter.com slash waypoint over on Facebook at facebook.com slash waypointvice. Watch all the archives of the videos we've been talking about at youtube.com slash waypointvice or at twitch.tv slash waypoint. Uh, and read all the stories we write, uh, like the review for Monster Hunter that was also in this feed, actually, over at waypoint.vice.com. That is going to do it for us today. We will be back uh, Wednesday for a uh, Waypoint 101 for Zombie U, a.k.a. Zombie. Uh, just as a reminder, we're playing through the the Tower of London mission. You will know that you've gotten there when the sequence with the helicopter ends. Um, so send in questions for that by, uh, ideally, by like midday tomorrow, by like noonish Eastern, one-ish Eastern tomorrow on Tuesday, because we're going to record that tomorrow. Uh, and you can send those in also to gamingadvice.com. Use Waypoint 101 in the header so that we can pull those up. We also have a form thread about this over if you go to uh, to, to form.waypoint.vice.com or discourse.zone. We have a, a, a kind of a pretty active form of people talking about Zombie U. Uh, so you can also go there and drop your, your questions or comments about the game there. And we'll take a look and, and kind of talk through some of them and, and uh, respond to people. I've been talking to some people there. It's been It's been good. So... That's going to do it for us. Uh, until then, what's up? Danielle's not here. I was going to throw it to Danielle, but Danielle's not here today. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Here's what we say. Google the Sankabetsu brown bear incident. What? What? What did you say? We're talking, to, we're talking about monsters. What's... Read about this bear attack in early 20th century Japan. What is it called? Sankabetsu brown bear incident. That sounds like my favorite anime ever. It, it, <laughs> and it reads. The Wikipedia entry reads like San your favorite Kebetsu anime. Brown, if you just search, search for Brown Bear Incident, that'll show up here. Oh, man. Oh, man. Brown Look Bear at, Incident sounds like something that happens in a toilet. Brown Bear Incident sounds like a noise rock band. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for us. Be good and be good at it. Peace. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.